I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show um before we dive in yeah be- uh, we keep doing befores yes that's what it's always like you know? i know it's I know. always before until it's after <laughs> oh, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so many so many so many damn books Welcome, uh, everyone, to this, your 49th episode of So Many Damn Books. Um, I am Christopher. <laughs> I'm Drew. I forgot. Did you have I had to, to check? Look, yeah, to look it up in my notebook. And we have with us today um, our returning guest, Alexander Kleeman. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. Uh, absolutely. For back. Alexander Kleeman, you are the author of You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine, which Guilty you, <laughs> which you uh, discuss with us on this show. Um, last time people, long time listeners will know, uh, you were the recep- recipient of the 2016, uh, Bard Fiction Prize mm. and a finalist of Young Lions. Mm. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you got your MFA from Columbia and you're awesome. And we're so glad that and, you could come back for this. I'm oh, I'm glad. glad. To be back. <laughs> yeah. And you're here for your, uh, for the release of your short story collection, intimations yes which is a red book where my first book was a blue blue book (laughs) (laughs) that means that your next book needs to be yellow right that's true or i could just blow your mind like a a nice hunter green yeah there there doesn't need to be you don't need to follow the pattern (laughs) different blue I tell you guys what we're drinking? Yes. Because you, I haven't, I haven't told you. <laughs> You're just drinking it. Yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> I was um, just handed this, and it tastes really good. <laughs> and and that is what the damn library is all about. <laughs> um, this is a this is a quick and easy sangria sort of, um, where it's just um, three cups of pineapple juice, some le- squeezed lemons and oranges, some mangoes. Um, all mm. thrown in with a entire bottle of Sauvignon Blanc and a cup of rum. Whoa. And then I've also <laughs> added um, an ounce of the jalapeno syrup that I made actually for the last episode. Yeah. Um, and I put in some jalapenos in this too. And so I'm calling this Karen's Folly <laughs> um, because uh, there is a story in Intimations about a, um, a woman at a resort and there's jellyfish around, so I thought like the jalapenos would be like a jellyfish sting. Sting in the midst of an otherwise pleasant experience. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so that's what we're drinking. Nice. Mm. 
I'm glad you guys like it. I like it a lot. It's really good. It's a, it's a, it's one of these dangerous drinks where you're, you can, you have like five of them and it doesn't feel like you had any alcohol and then five minutes later, <laughs> <laughs> you're dead. Like any good sangria. Uh-huh. Yeah. You roofie yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're your own worst enemy, which, which happens in all sorts of places, I guess. <laughs> Should we talk about, uh, what'd you buy? What'd you buy? Yeah, we should. Why don't you start, Drew? Um, I picked up two things. One, um, a new novel just came out by Kathleen Donahue called Ashes of Fiery Weather. Oh, it is good. about several generations of women in a family of firefighters. Wow. Uh, coming from Ireland through to moving to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it just looks like a, like a good late summer kind of read. I'm yeah. excited about it. And then also... I got sent at work the other day, technically for my old boss, but he doesn't work there anymore, so I kept it. Um, Joyride by John mm. Lahr, which is a collection of a bunch of his New Yorker essays about theater, but it's all comprised around playwrights or plays and every time that he's written about them. So there's like a whole section on Arthur Miller. There's a whole section on Sarah Rule. There's a whole section on like certain Shakespeare plays. Um, and it just, awesome. yeah, it felt like a nice deep dive. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, do you want me to go or oh, are okay. you, do you have something that you, um, it almost just takes me a little while to remember anything I've done. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I just bought, uh, this poetry collection called Look by Solma Sharif that's sort of like a rewriting of the Department of Defense like handbook like a lot of military language oh I heard about this it's super awesome or at least um, it hasn't shown up yet but I've heard her read from it and it's mind blowing um, what, what I know anyway so uh, that's coming um, and I recently bought uh, Barkskins by oh. Annie Pruel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. and that is so amazing <laughs> because like uh it's weird it's like about you know like um early french settlers of french canada and uh the beginning of the logging industry and the attitudes towards trees and conquest and all these things um but it's like reverse science fiction because you see that like discovering a our world like for the first time is like encountering an alien planet. Yeah. And I'm so into it. Yeah, <laughs> cool. That sounds yeah. so good. I really, I have that sitting on my shelf. I really want to read it. Yeah. I feel like it might be good to read it in the winter because it feels like the place is very cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, French Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks cold there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How about you? Well, over this past weekend, I went to go see... Um, these kids read their fiction and poetry that they've been writing all summer for the New York Writers Coalition. Cool. They have a, they do a little like reading. And also um, what was really cool is along with the kids. So there'd be like a five-year-old reader and then uh, Yas Jesse read um, from Homegoing. So it was very, very cool. Um, Of course I had to pick up her book after that. Um, And the kids were amazing. Um, just incredible readers and really good poets um, as well. And I also um, picked up uh, Jesse Ball's How to Start a Fire and Why, mm. which I guess is about a teenage girl who is having a hard time with growing up and and her rebellion is joining a group of secret arsonists. 
So, uh, yeah, it sounds, sounds like a awesome. Jesse Ball book. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the the spine is like like the the rough side of a matchbook. You know when you're. Oh yeah. Whoa. Have I you tried to light that. a match on it? I know because it's made of paper. You know, and then yeah. you just. No. No. All right. And we can just buy another copy. <laughs> it's I'm twice sure, as good for Jesse Bob. I'm, I'm sure Jesse Bob would really appreciate it. <laughs> maybe that's why he did it. He's like, well, he'll, they'll burn the first one. And then they'll learn their lesson. <laughs> well, let's talk about your new wonderful triumph, uh, Intimations uh, of Stories. Yeah. S- stories. Your first book was a novel. Mm-hmm. Often, um, it seems like, or at least historically, this is what I often see is like uh, the debut novelist brings out their novel and then the short stories follow. Um, mm. Is that, were you were you thinking that or did you want to just put out your short story collection or well, how did this come about? Well, um, for some reason, they had the short story scheduled first and then they flipped it for reasons I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just get told what happens. Um, right. And then... Uh, I was glad for that, though, because um, I really wanted to write some more, and I wanted to write these realist stories, which are mostly clustered in the middle of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, um, uh, I'm happier with this book because it's sort of like a shadow autobiography of myself when I read it. I'm like, oh, and this is when like I thought this way about stories, and this is when I thought this way, and this is when I learned to like have characters speak in dialogue, which is something I was always interested in, but I <laughs> had <laughs> never done. Right. Um, so like, uh, I mean, obviously the novel is really close to me, and, and the novel tracks like day by day the time you spend writing it, but uh, the short stories are really close to me in a different way. Which, um, which story, because most of most of these, or a, a large chunk of them were written before, right? Yes. Um, which one of these made the biggest change from where it was collected in a, like a literary magazine or something towards the book? Like, which one's the most different? Um, you know what? They're actually not that different from when they were published. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I, I really like printing things in public volumes because it's the only way I think to make a story settle down <laughs> like <laughs> to make it so that you don't want to go into the word document and change um ins to ons or or um you know he's to it's or something yeah, right. maybe other people don't change he's to it but uh, <laughs> I like it um and the ones that went through substantial revision are uh the uh Brief History of Weather, mm-hmm. and also um, uh, You Disappearing. So those were the ones where like, I wrote them, and uh, instead of feeling like, um, oh, I did it, uh, <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, there's something really itching at me. I know, that, <laughs> I know that this story can and should be different, and I just, I sadly feel I'm not the person who can rewrite it right now, but I will like keep thinking about it every week until I am. Wow. Yeah. Um, you Disappearing is the last story in the collection. Mm-hmm. And it, as I was reading it, it's the one that reminded me the most of You Two Can Have a Body Like Mine. Oh, I totally agree. In terms agree, of yeah. the sort oh, of the yeah. world and like the eeriness. Yeah, yeah. And I was just wondering if you, especially knowing that sort of the schedule got flipped. 
mm-hmm. how much of the novel sort of bled into the stories and vice versa. Yeah, that's definitely one that was written at the same time. <laughs> um, and uh, I'd be really interested in unpacking the intuition about that because, yeah, uh, there's something like, um, I, I found it fun to write You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine because I could, as a narrator, really like um, take the authority of sitting in the narrator's seat and pulling all the levers and stuff. And I feel like You Disappearing is a story like that too. It's like... Um, I'm storytelling and I'm starting at this one point and then letting it sort of widen and see like what's interesting to me in the expanse, uh, expanded wideness of it. So you as narrator rather than like inhabiting what the character would be interested in or? Um, well, I guess like, um, with some of the stories like, um, fairy tale and fake blood, uh, I think of those, like writing them was almost like writing a play. Like um, mm. I made it so that I sort of only knew as much about the world as the character did. And so things were always happening to me. And when I was writing them, um, I was always like, and then this happens. And then like, <laughs> oh, whoa, weird. Ah. <laughs> yeah. um, like uh, that was sort of when I was really interested in um, the thing that, I heard Murakami Haruki talk about it at a lecture once that like um, writing is like playing a video game that you are writing at the same time, you know? Oh. So like this total f- feedback loop and it's kind of like a way of um, like thrilling yourself or surprising yourself and, and just playing. It's like play and that was really fun. But you disappearing like, um, I definitely had more of a, a, a place I wanted to get to mm-hmm. and a world that I wanted to uncover. Like I took some agency and like put on the captain's hat or something yeah (laughs) right that makes sense there's this this nugget in the middle of three stories maybe four that have uh this woman karen as Mm. the main character and they are like they are straight realism yeah yeah and i'm I was fascinated by the fact that you used the same, that Karen came back. But like, instead of being, here are three realist stories. Yeah. It was like, it was following her, but not in a, in a linear novel kind of way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are these all the same Karen? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, this bleeds over a little bit into this Robert Coover collection that, uh, we all read together. But, um, when I read this Robert Coover collection, um, I was, writing poetry I was in college and um I didn't really feel like I could write fiction because things had to happen in fiction and I was like uh, I definitely um don't I'm not enough of a captain to make anything happen (laughs) in text um and uh it was these sorts of stories which like um sort of set a few pieces in motion like populated a set almost or populated a stage and then like played with them and turned them around and around and recharacterized them that made me go like oh um I I see like how I can be myself in the process of writing a short story it sort of took me a while to feel comfortable with the idea of taking on um what I think of like think of as like the sort of authority that you need to create a person person and say things about their lives thus limiting like all the other possible ways they could be and like <laughs> um also like make statements about what the world is like like and it's our world and uh you may not be getting 
everything in there or something. I don't know. I had a lot, a whole complex about it. Um, so the reason why um, I sort of pick up with Karen over and over again, um, I guess this is partially uh, like number one, that uh, world creating feels really um, intense to me and authoritarian. And uh, I hate the idea of creating a world that is populated and fleshed out and then throwing it away after the story's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to, you know, pick up with the character more. But I also felt a lot of times when I read short stories that like, um, I love short stories that focus on a, a real person person. Um, they capture like some significant moment in that character's life. Like it might be a turning point or it might be like the beginning of character change or the moment where something, um, some contour in their life starts to take hold. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always was really skeptical of that because I sort of saw myself and the people around me um, having a lot of those moments like in succession and a lot of them were sort of similar and I felt that like actual change in a person happened like not through those moments but like through this subterranean buildup of the effect of those moments. So um like I'm still working on these Karen stories and trying to take like these samples from throughout her life and figure out like, you know, um, when does she start seeing the world differently? And, um, you know, what, what build of experience can constitute like acting differently, like, like aging or becoming a different person or something like, Mm um, uh, because I think for the most part, we, replicate a lot of the same mistakes yeah (laughs) that's true even the order that the three stories are in and hearing you say that i'm like oh yeah because they're not chronological Mm. and yet you can see the way that when you put them chronologically you're like oh yeah she's making the same mistake again again (laughs) again yeah you said something earlier uh, a person person yeah (laughs) um what are you uh what are you like delineating against uh oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> what's what's not a person person uh, yeah that's a private term <laughs> I, i've never tried to define um but i guess that like uh you know when i wake up first thing in the morning um i'm a person but i'm not like aware of the whole bulk of stuff about me yet like um it's before i've started to think of all that and before like ac- interacting with another person has called on me to like act like one way i could act instead of you know, sort of having the potential to act whatever way. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I feel like every time you give a character more to them, um, every time you define them more, you're also sort of limiting them. You're like strengthening the features that you do reveal. But um, uh, it, that seems like, you know, not a natural default way of of writing a story to me like um it seems like a conscious choice and i i need to like be very certain i want to go there i guess uh besides that like um you know one of my favorite writers ever is beckett and um, <laughs> i just love like uh how it doesn't even matter what you know about this character you just know you know they're chest deep in mud and that's <laughs> terrible i feel for you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, i see what you're saying i see what you're saying yeah yeah You, this is this. I just came to me. You've mentioned uh, 
theater and plays twice. Would you have you ever written a play? Will you write a play? Is that a thing you're yeah. interested in? I'm actually working on or beginning to work on the screenplay now and I'm so stressed out by it because every time I try to read a screenplay I'm like um, I have this horrible feeling of I just read all these words and I understand like what was happening but I feel like I haven't read anything <laughs> oh, like was it good was it bad <laughs> uh, I see yeah I mean writing a screenplay it all has to be visual there's everything has to be right out there and yeah. with a screenplay, like I feel like the people who know how to read them, they um, know that you're supposed to bring a little something extra and you're like imagining how the person's voice sounds as they say it. Um, but when I'm reading a novel, I try to not bring too much to it because then I end up making weird assumptions like, um, like, oh, that guy's a villain? Like, I could have sworn he had such a nice voice. Like, he's so warm and yeah. good. <laughs> Yeah. Can you say what you're working on? Or? Um, well, I'm I'm working on an adaptation of You Two Can Have a Body Like Mine. Cool. Which, That's very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean. Did you just see Drew's eyes? I just, I, God, I just love that book so much. Oh. I really love reading whatever uh, an author has suggested alongside their book. Oh, it's and one so, of my favorite things. Yeah. And we made it up, so that's cool too. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Reading uh, Prick Songs and Descants, this Robert Coover short story collection, alongside Intimations, even before I read the Robert Coover blurb Quote. That, yeah. for <laughs> Intimations, but I started being like, oh, I understand, like almost I understand the lineage the two collections were talking to each other. Definitely. Even more so than like you can draw parallels a lot of times. Being like, oh, this is interesting. This They were literally talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you you were saying that you, ha- you kind of wanted to do that. Yeah. I mean, um, well, w- actually, the first way I encountered Robert Coover was... Um, uh, I would just go to the library and I'd be like, what is there to read that I wouldn't, um, uh, that would surprise me. Like I wouldn't know what was in this or what the story was going to be like. Cause any other book you read for class, it comes with this context around it already. And I know you have something in place. Um, but I was looking at the Iowa review and I saw this story called playing house, um, which turned out to be by him. And it's this story told from within the house. And the house is a metaphor for storytelling. And then the house is a metaphor for um, life and death. And then the house is just a house. And then the house is a metaphor for childhood. It's just like amazing how um, uh, the setting doesn't shift. He doesn't pull any of those levers. But uh, the story that you're in is like shifting all the time. He's just so masterful at creating and moving meaning around um and it was like uh it was amazing to me because um I had always been writing poetry but prose poetry and I was like I I just wish I could you know write in sentences freely but um I don't know if I want to make people and move them around because that seems like a lot to handle Hmm. um so uh that story wasn't collected in any book yet. It eventually came out in this McSweeney's published volume called A Child Again. Um, but I found this book, Prick Songs and Descants, and um, 
and I read it and uh, it was so important to me, not necessarily because I enjoyed reading every single story. Like there's some stories in here that like they require so much from you, like more mm-hmm. than I think a lot of stories ask more than any story that I see around now asks from its reader, like just Absolutely. ability to like shift from one voice into some like totally unrelated kind of dialogue that's picking up the story in a different zone. And you have to try to connect them all the time and you're thinking as hard as you can. And then, um, suddenly it's like a discussion of genitalia or whatever. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, am I being toyed with? <laughs> you know how um, when you're reading a sort of mysterious story or a horror story or something like that, um, you get a sense of what it is that's happening, um, but you're still poised in that zone where you're trying to find out exactly what it is. He like... Um, was the first thing I ever read that takes takes you to that zone and then like gives you a thing happening and then like yanks it away yeah. and then like it does another one and so on. Like um uh I I was just like amazed that, that could happen in my head and um It's disconcerting yeah. when it first happens and actually yeah. <laughs> it continues to be disconcerting every time it happens. I kind of felt like I kept reading like like a indecisive choose your own adventure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's where, like or choose every adventure yeah it's just yeah he couldn't decide which one to happen it w- it was it was frustrating at first or yeah. or maybe it continued to be um it was a lot of work but sometimes especially my favorite was the magic poker where you really where his voice is in there as it seems as robert yeah. cooper where yeah. he's just like yeah and themes what uh, themes is this yeah. <laughs> Where he's like in the middle of it, just talking about that. I thought that was very bold and very brave. Yeah, and then some. Sometimes he like breaks in and goes like, "Sometimes I forget that I'm writing this story, and none of this is actually happening." I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Especially in the magic poker. So that story uh, concerns uh, two sisters, although they they don't seem like sisters sometimes because one of them's named and one of them isn't, and one of them seems like the leader and one of them isn't yeah yeah very strange and it's also karen yes (laughs) (laughs) um actually uh i haven't read this book since i was in college so when i saw that i was like oh that's kind of weird (laughs) but karen is a solid name karen's Um, a solid name i chose it as one of my only real names in this whole collection because um it brings just enough but not too much (laughs) (laughs) um so the the, the rug being pulled out from under you in the story at the very beginning starts right away where she pulls up this like poker, like a fire poker and kisses it. And then there's a fairy tale part of that yeah, where it turns into a man and starts talking to her. And then the next paragraph, it's her being disgusted about why did she kiss this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, she's just holding it and walking again. Yeah. And so that t- first time that that happens, you're just like, wait <laughs> and you haven't it, it's not even like a flipping the pages back and forth because it's paragraph to paragraph yeah yeah, yeah. so you're just like okay i guess that was a dream or or what or happened what? <laughs> <laughs> it felt fitting to me that he's playing so much with um like fairy tales and mythology yeah. In a way that it's things that you think you know 
or even things that you're like, man, maybe like um, Morris in Chains, the whole story, I was like, this is familiar. Why do I know this? And I couldn't, I couldn't ever place it, mm. but it felt so familiar. And it, like there's a novel that we read recently, not recently, I guess that was like six months ago for the show, The Pickle Index uh-huh. that Eli Horowitz wrote. That like, yeah. it feels very similar to that story, but I was like, well, that only came out this year though so it's not that (laughs) and just that that constant like destabilization yeah yeah you know like um i I feel like we expect that when people retell fairy tales and at that time like donald bartholomew was writing like his takes on fairy tales Mm -hmm. and all these things like uh that was a graspable thing to play with in this meta narrative way um but then he also like in this book treats like getting onto an elevator as though we're like a scripty like fairy tale thing and then it just like goes backwards and forwards and like does itself so many different ways um so why i mean you both seem to get right on board with that i i definitely had a hard time um what what do you think is it about your nature as a reader or something that you saw that and you're like okay i think I, i get what he's doing um you know what i think maybe it's almost that like uh I just love a plot twist, you know, like that, that <laughs> feeling of like everything rearranging itself. And, um, you know, this doesn't have the super stable plot that can twist the whole thing, but you get like a twist every paragraph almost. Yeah. And like, um, it, it makes, it's like a puzzle box. Like I just really wanted to get to the end of it, but it will always be a puzzle box. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I- but it's also like, I mean, there's a reason why I haven't read it since, um, <laughs> the first time I read it because like uh, it, it just gets me riled up and I get really I get frustrated and I get really excited and I have trouble sleeping or, or something just like because um, uh, it makes my brain work really hard and then like um, I never get that signal at the end like okay you got it good job yeah. to like <laughs> to turn off right where, where you flip to the answer key at the back and you're like D right yeah. oh great I've got it right I thought it was D yeah <laughs> something that um i found really interesting about the babysitter in particular is that that story more than any of the other ones felt like it not only had one ending but it actually sort of answered several endings yeah you know and i was like oh because that i think that might have been my favorite story in the collection just because of the way that it does that thing of dread from like the beginning yeah and then it keeps it you're like okay be scared now and then come back (laughs) <laughs> and it keeps it keeps changing everything and building up and it keeps going yeah and then i got to the end and there was it wasn't even, it's not a full release but i was like oh what am i supposed what do i what am i supposed to think what about do i do now any of this stuff <laughs> yes and it was that like He's that good at making you feel that that yeah. next level of messing with you where he had built you up to the point of like okay i'm gonna screw with you this way and then by the end of a collection to almost find another way to do it and be like I had one more trick up my sleeve. Yeah. What do you think about that? That is cool. Just blew me away. Yeah, um, that's like maybe the greatest story in this collection. Probably the greatest story in this collection. And like, um, I, I read that story, and uh, w- right after that, um, I took a class on hypertext literature or something, and I was like, oh, well, it's like um, Shirley Jackson's The Patchwork Girl and internet living stories where you like 
basically choose your own adventure or click mm-hmm. on one part uh, of it and the text changes and, and yeah. things like that. And um, I was like, okay, I, I'm interested in this hypertext literature, but I feel like it was already done like in the 70s yeah. <laughs> by this book. <laughs> Have you, um, this was my first um, introduction to Robert Coover. Was it yours as well? Me too. I knew about I him. knew about him. Because of the Brunists. Mm-hmm. I've never read either yeah. of those books, but I, like the yeah, names. I, are... I knew he wrote a sequel to his book like 40 years later or something, yeah. but that's about all I knew. Um, have you read more of him and, and uh, what's he like in a novel if you have? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I worked on the Brunist Day of Wrath. Oh, the, oh cool. the sequel, um, right? Yeah, the sequel. Yeah. So, uh, and I read the first one, and I've read like those are both huge. Like you measure those novels in inches, not pages, kind <laughs> of books. Um, and uh, he also has some um, like cuter, like smaller novels um, that I really love, like noir and. Um, uh, Oh, um, A Night of the Movies, which is short stories, but they're all like based on cinematic tropes. The Brunist one, that's a book that really stands apart from these stories because none of the traditional boundaries of storytelling are crossed. Like the only difference is that you have access to everything in the character's head and that you have 144 characters or something that it goes through. But (laughs) like, like what's amazing about it is that it, is so like meticulously clear and stable mm. that you really can organize all of these people. Um, and then uh, the main like visceral feeling I have is just like, like I've eaten too much. Like, oh my God, now I know <laughs> about 140 people and like, I think I care about them and it's too much, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But know that um, that's also a puzzle box, but like of a different kind and like, all the pieces are very well made and they hold together wow. well. It's, yeah. it's crazy. All moving towards like the culminating like disastrous event that takes place. I mean, this book was fascinating. Yeah. Brick Songs and Deskins by Robert Coover. Um, and it was a great one to read alongside Intimations. So I personally recommend making this duology or <gasps> make it a trilogy. You know, you two can have a body like mine, then Intimations. And then, yeah. Why don't we, um, why don't we talk about other books we love? Uh, why don't we recommend something? Oh, sure. What do you think? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. You guys excited about Sounds that? Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, good. You go first this time. I go first? Yeah, you go first. Okay. Um, I've been reading comics uh, with a... With a capital X comics, um, no. Uh, but I did read Sex Criminals, the the newest one, uh, volume three, by uh, uh, what Chip Zdarsky and Matt Fraction. Yeah. Um, it's the series is continually very good. This third volume is very meta. There's even a page where they just it breaks out into them talking about writing the book, and they're like, "Yeah, I know <laughs> this conversation has to happen," but. <laughs> It's so boring. He's like, we could do a meta thing. He's like, I don't think we should. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. Um, and then one that didn't use any meta things at all, and it was just fantastic, is the new uh, Daniel Cloves, 
Cloves or Cloves? What do you have to say? I've never heard his name pronounced, but it has the W in Cloves. it, Cloves, right? yeah. Cloves. <laughs> um, his new book, Patience, is insanely good. Oh, um, wow. It's somewhat about him like trying to time travel, like the main character's time to try and time travel to save, some, save someone's life. Wow. Um, and he keeps like ending up forward and back and you, and you see him in the past and the future. And, um, he actually finds a lot of new things to do with the genre of time travel, uh, in it. And it's just an incredible, um, you know, it reminds me of watching a movie. It was like the best, a great three hour movie that's going to take you to read the book. Um, so that was great. Cool. Yeah. I, I'd really like to teach a class on time travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, um, just, I, I think it would not be a good idea for a class because, um, everyone would be like, why are we talking about this for the whole semester? We've done it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to death. But like, I feel like there's a lot of room for something new to be done in that. Well, there is. And I, I, I think that it's crazy. I mean, there's like the ways that people understand how time travel works. And then there's the ways that people, you can mess with how time travel works. And I think that both are really, really fun. Yeah. Mm. Um, Drew, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, speaking not quite of time travel, but alternate times, uh, China Mieville's latest novel slash novella, The Last Days of New Paris, where it's, he, he is an author who I love and I've mentioned on the show a lot. And like, he requires an intellectual rigor of his reader uh. just cause he, he thinks that he has an idea and he thinks about the whole thing. If you're like, what about, mm, what? And he's like, nope, got it <laughs> on it. The idea behind this is that it is an alternate Paris where in 1940, a surrealist bomb exploded and basically brought to life all of the the weird fucking things that you see in surrealist paintings. Uh, and they are now stalking the streets of sort of like a demilitarized Paris where there are some resistance fighters, there are some Nazis. The book mainly takes place in 1950. And so it's unclear how much of the war is still going on. But like Paris is just this, it's like a little bit Les Mis. It's a little bit, Whoa. yeah, wow. it's just, it's, and it's all in 200 pages. And then at the very end, there's an afterword entitled How I Came to Write the Last Days of New Paris that I was like, oh, I figure, I think I know what this is. And then it was not at all. And I just, I was like, Whoa. it's, it's just another brilliant and it's like 200 pages. Wow. And if you like surrealist art, which I do, highly recommended. Cause it's just, it's, you can try to, it's like, you need a spotter's guide. That oh sounds God, great. Yeah. That. Um, yeah. The other thing is this weird, 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 like unfinished, always unfinished puzzle box of a novel called composition number no. one by Mark Sapora, Sapporta, mm. um, visual editions. This tiny British publisher put it out a couple of years ago. It's a book in a box unbound. And the idea is that you're supposed to take it out and scatter the pages and then read it in whatever order you pull it back together. Oh, I see. Oh, whoa. So it can, it's not only never read the same way twice, but like you, you never get a grip on actually what it is because you realize that it could, any page could be the first or the last. Wow. It sounds like hopscotch square. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopscotch in a new dimension. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a really bad direct-to-video sequel. Yeah, it does. Um, 
Alexandra? Um, well, what I'm reading right now, and I'm, I'm not totally done, um, but I'm really excited about it, is this um, new novel by Yoko Tawada, who's one of my favorite writers. Um, and uh, my mom, who is a Japanese literature person, um, scholar, <laughs> sorry, um, told me for like years that there was this book by Yoko Tawada about a polar bear, about Knut, the bear at the Berlin Zoo. Um, and I was always like, I, w- I would die to read that book. And anything I could do to read that book short of actually learning German, um, which I knew would take so long that it would probably wipe out the time gain, whatever, um, would, uh, I, I will do it. Um, and it's being issued by New Directions <laughs> with a translation by Susan Bronowski this thanks November. Cool. Yeah. And, um, it's like, uh, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I thought it would just be about Knut, but, um, it's actually about, uh, Knut's grandmother, Knut's mother and then Knut and um it's much less like I, I imagined it would be sort of a real world thing with the imagined interior life of a polar bear but it occupies this really really strange hybrid territory where um uh the polar bear is really a polar bear but is also a writer and every time <laughs> you start thinking like oh well um being a polar bear is like a metaphor for being an immigrant. Then um, there's a long description of like um, how good it feels to eat salmon with your claws. And you're like, <laughs> okay, no, it's not just a metaphor. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's so funny and it's so strange and such a pleasure to read. And the polar bear is like reading um, uh, Kafka, like the orangutan story <laughs> and like reflecting on it critically. Like, I don't think that's really how the orangutan felt. And, um, <laughs> you just like read all these things through a really, a lens I've never seen before. Wow. That sounds fantastic. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. I've been looking for another, like what the next Yoko Tawada book should be. Ah. So we read uh, The Naked Eye, actually. Oh, Laura yeah. Vandenberg recommended that to us. Oh, so great. Yeah. And actually, that makes a lot of sense with Laura. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Thank you yeah, so much for, for coming back. Uh, we really appreciate it. And your, you know, Intimations is a triumph. And yeah. we're so excited to, to see it take the world by storm. Yeah, and, and anytime you want to talk about books... Hell we'll yeah. <laughs> I think at this point we've established that like you it's put out always. a book or you're going to come on back. <laughs> uh, and uh, to those out there, go and pick up these wonderful uh, Kleeman books and uh, we will talk to you soon. Yeah, there's always more books. There are. There are a few more. My voice? Uh, I don't that's going to be the thing. Yeah, that's going to how it's going to end. Ah. <sighs> Alors je dépasse et j'aime en faire Des tonnes, ça irrite Les braves gens pleins de raisons Qui respectent les limites Hey, je ne rêve pas, je sais Quand j'arrêterai, je vais